As athletes strive to become harder, better, faster and stronger, the advice of performance nutritionists such as Munster Rugby's Catherine Norton has become a key facet of modern day training routines, with nutrition providing not just a source of energy for performance, but also hugely benefiting recovery. They know me now, they're a little bit afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so they, we, we have huge control over what we eat, when we eat it, the quality of food, the portion sizes, even down to the order that it's presented in in a buffet. Like for pre-match, I want the boys to have more carbohydrates, so if they go up to take food from a buffet, breads, breakfast cereals, potatoes, rices, pastas are the first thing they see. In recovery, it might be slightly different. I might want them to have more protein if it's after a certain session, so meat, fish and chicken would be the first thing they see. And it's not just for elite athletes, such as professional rugby players, from tag enthusiasts to Sunday strollers. What we eat and when we eat it is hugely important for everyone. You could say that the anabolic wind Window, or your best opportunity for recovery would be within 60 to 90 minutes of when you've stopped. Mm. And ideally, from a carbohydrate point of view, the sooner you can get your carbohydrates back in to fill up the stores that you have in anticipation of your next session, the better. Later, we'll discuss the best approach regarding supplements. We'll have some useful tips and recipes to ensure that cooking well needn't be a chore and can complement your busy lifestyle. And if you're a parent, what to feed your active kids who are just getting into rugby. The analogy that I'd often use with parents is, we're trying to go a pot plant. Like all kids are given a, a daffodil bulb in school and they can all tell you it needs light, it needs water, it needs food, it needs energy. Kids are the same. If you don't give them fluids to drink and bring with them, they'll be compromised. Me like you. But firstly, Catherine discusses the evolution of performance nutrition and her pathway to Munster Rugby. So I studied nutrition and dietetics in Trinity College in Dublin. Um, I started in 1996 and graduated in 2001. And I think 90%, maybe even as high as 95% of graduates of the course would go straight into work in the HSE in clinical nutrition and dietetics, dealing with people who have clinical illnesses, giving them the proper nutrition to either prevent ill health or to treat ill health. Um, and very few, there were actually no full-time jobs at the time in performance. So I knew that it was an area that I wanted to work in. One of the things that I thought that I would do before I became a dietitian was to do physiotherapy. I knew I'd like to work in performance and I was looking for opportunities to get involved. So at the time, there was no master's in performance. There was no mm. postgraduate diploma in, in sports nutrition. There was nothing like that. So for about five or six years, I suppose, I was self-taught that I did a lot of work with um, AIL clubs in Limerick, with inter-county GA clubs, with university teams, just to see what kind of scope you had for practice with performance nutrition, what you could do, what you couldn't do. And even at the time, there wasn't even, it wasn't an, an opportunity to look at the UK and see what are they doing. Mm. It was just a new science in performance that people weren't really aware of the benefits that you could get from optimizing nutrition yet so i was going to say that say for example you went back the guts of 15 20 years even top premiership players you know when soccer even at that stage was well into the professional stages you wouldn't even have had performance nutrition back then it just wasn't a thing just wasn't a thing it just wasn't recognized as being something that could improve performance okay um and then even w with what i was doing at the time usually like i'd go into a club and the management would identify a problem player so somebody who was overweight or somebody who they felt had high potential but wasn't achieving potential. And my role was usually finger-wagging, saying, don't do that, you know, you shouldn't be having takeaways after your matches, ease off on the pints. It was more advice that you'd get from y your mother <laughs> rather than somebody who was trained in, in nutrition and, and science. Yeah. So I suppose really only in the last really five or ten years at a maximum mm. where people are looking for very small competitive mm. margins yeah. you know if you're looking at track and field you're looking at how can you improve by 
0.05 of a second or if you're looking at, at team sports how can you push out fatigue how can you improve performance and improving strength so mm. with all of those things nutrition has become identified as an opportunity to gain margins that others might not be exploiting yet the cornerstones of good nutrition then like what exactly are they for, the, for, for people at the moment who maybe want to make those small gains what would your best advice be I suppose there's a difference between the cornerstones of good nutrition for the general public and those who are performing in in high performance professional athletes. And I think even at the moment with the amount of interest that there is in food and health and nutrition, it's very hard for people in the general public to decipher what are the messages that you need to follow that are Mm. diktats and others that are kind of hot topics or you know water cooler conversations at the moment mm. so where i think most people are familiar with the the hse's guidelines the departments of health internationally on making sure you get plenty of fruit and vegetables making sure you represent all of your food groups that's common sense that's not something that you know you can kind of say well that doesn't apply to me because i want to play rugby, rugby with monster or whatever mm. when you take then to the next level outside of what do you need to do to um prov- to prevent ill health or to promote health what do you need to do additionally to get margins in sports performance? It's very different. Mm. So they, they're broadly based on the same principles because if you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to, to train and to perform well. So it's getting the very basics right initially and then looking at the, the more advanced stuff after that. I suppose if you were to pick a, a couple of take-home messages and say what would be the key things that you'd be trying to put in place for health as a foundation for performance, eat regularly. Um, look at the requirements of whatever training it is that you're doing or whatever activity that you have in the day whether it's resistance training or pitch training or a rest day or media work or whatever it is and try and match the requirements of the activity that you have on that day to the nutrition that you fuel yourself with so if you have to drive to Dublin for a media appearance you don't need to carb load you don't have a high requirement for Mm -hmm. excessive amounts of protein you can get whatever you need through probably what everybody else eats on a daily basis as long as it's based on good nutrition and if you counterpoint that with what do you need on a performance day where you have repeated high intensity bouts of exercise that last less than 10 seconds but you've got to do that back to back for 80 or 90 minutes how do you fuel in those circumstances is completely different so you're looking at putting the right fuels in place for that mm. so it's it, the no two days would be the same for a high performance athlete and it's more than what you put into your body but timing is of the essence too when it comes to getting your food on board Timing is extremely important and it's probably an area that's getting a lot of attention, particularly with protein at the moment. All of the recommendations that are done for food and nutrients are done based on what you need in a day. Mm. So a lot of the recommendations that we give for macronutrients, which would be carbohydrates, proteins and fats, would be done on what weight are you and how much do we need to feed you to fill that weight. So for carbohydrates or proteins, it would be you need X amount of grams based on the kilograms of body weight that you have. So you can imagine that it's a lot different to feed uh, 90 kilo back than 120 kilo prop yeah we always speak in terms of how much protein do you need in a day and that would have been traditionally the way that recommendations were given however we now know that the way that you distribute that protein intake is just as important for the general public as it is for an elite athlete so if we look at the types of training that our players would do in high performance if they are lifting if they're doing a resistance training session ensuring that they have fueled well with carbohydrate beforehand Um, that's even more important on a pitch than it would be for a lifting session. But recovering well with carbohydrates and protein afterwards is hugely important. And are we talking within a a gap of 30 minutes or does it depend on the player or or how would you work that out? That's kind of the million dollar question or the six million dollar question. So if you look at the the information that's in the uh, scientific realms at the moment, everyone wants to figure out what is the anabolic environment that we have and what is the window that you have after a session that you are anabolic, that you have the ability to, to increase your lean tissue mass. 
And for people who are recreational athletes who might, you know, lift one session a week or do something at the weekend, you could say that the anabolic window or your best opportunity for recovery would be within 60 to 90 minutes of when you stopped. Mm. And ideally, from a carbohydrate point of view, the sooner you can get your carbohydrates back in to fill up the stores that you have in anticipation of your next session, the better. Now, if you look at our boys in high performance, their windows for anabolism are repeated within a day and repeated back to back day to day. So it isn't quite the same as within the next 20 minutes, you need to get something in or within 90 minutes, you need to recover well, because they're pretty much always in a state of flux in, in, in building and, and breaking down lean tissue mass or using up and then repleting glycogen or carbohydrate stores that they've gone through. So the timing element is just as important, but very different to what you'd have for people who have sedentary jobs and engaged in activity. For those who do an awful lot of exercise, be it professional or just do quite a bit of training themselves, be it those who might be into CrossFit or, or different things, you, your body recovers an awful lot when you're sleeping at night. Does that mean you should have something before you go to bed at night? or but Whereas the traditional thinking would have been because you're not exercising when you're in bed, obviously, you shouldn't be eating. So so what would be the school of thought in it these days? The, recommendation, the current recommendations for uh, athletes would be that they would eat a slow-release protein. So a lot of people are familiar with um, whey that, we, that a lot of athletes would tend to use after gym sessions. It's a quick-release protein that allows the amino acids that are in the protein to get in to your system quickly for recovery. The recommendations for athletes would be that they would take a slow release protein, which you would get in cottage cheese. It's casein is the name of the protein, or you can take it in supplemental form before bed. And there's really cool research that they're carrying out in the University of Maastricht looking at giving elderly people who have low muscle mass high amounts of protein before they go to bed and looking to see the effect that this has on protein turnover in a day, in a week, in a year. And giving people something like cottage cheese in um, a, a large enough amount is enough in people who don't do any, any exercise to increase lean tissue mass by a kilo in a year. By so a there's, kilo there's, in a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. with doing nothing else. Okay. So there is, like, the, with the question that you ask, is there recommendations now? Has it changed from don't eat anything after six o'clock? It has, but that's not to say, you know, children who are overweight and don't do any exercise or adults who are overweight and have... Um, it's not a green light to have a Chinese takeaway before bedtime. It's okay. targeted, that it's protein that you're looking for to attenuate muscle mass losses. We mentioned whey, we mentioned protein there as well. There's... Uh, debates for and against supplements at the moment and i read a piece that you did before and it was the food first approach in general like what's what's the best approach to take so a supplement like you know look it up in, in a dictionary a supplement is to supplement a diet that if for some reason you're either unable or unwilling to meet the requirements that you have so without a doubt um in high performance in monster with our age grade and, and schools and everything our approach would be that you should try and achieve all of the nutrients that you need through food and once you can achieve that through food, you're getting the, the nutrients in the way that they, they occur naturally. They're more bioavailable. It's easier for your body to use them and process them. And most importantly, I suppose, from my point of view in high performance, it's um, much, much less likely that you would have any contamination from substances that the World Anti-Doping Agency would deem unsuitable or banned for high performance sport. So if we could achieve everything that we wanted through food, that would be the ideal. And for most athletes, that's very achievable. However, if you remember what I was saying earlier on about how we prescribe nutrients based on body weight, mm. if you have, and this only happened, I was speaking to two athletes the other day, um, they both came in, they had finished a session and I was trying to get them to have something in recovery before they went for lunch. And they were saying, but we're, we're going for lunch, we don't need to take, and what I wanted them to have was a yogurt. Mm. You know, we weren't talking shakes or a, a steak, it was have a yogurt before you leave because you've just, you've just lifted and that will give you some bit of protein and tide you over before you go and have your lunch. And one of the, the, the back who was there was saying, 
if I have a yogurt now, I won't be able to eat my lunch. Whereas the forward was saying, would you toughen up? You know, <laughs> I have to eat 5,000, 6,000 calories in a day because this guy is 110 kilos. Yeah. So trying to feed him at this is what you need per kilogram mm. body weight, the volume that he needs to get in is so much more compared to somebody who's high 80s or low 90s in kilograms of body weight. So for that reason, it is um, it makes sense to try and get high volumes of nutrition in in a low amount by using supplements. That would be done in addition to all of the food recommendations that they're given. Mm. So if we can't achieve their intake through food, then we would use supplements. For our parents who might be checking this out right now and they have a kid who's active, getting into sports, could be rugby, could be another sport, and they're wondering, what do I feed him to complement his training? I think it very much depends on the child. Um, that you know that you can't really give blanket recommendations that all children should have this one of the things that I, I love and hate about rugby is that it takes all shapes and sizes mm. but oftentimes when I speak to my like I have a seven-year-old who plays rugby oftentimes when I speak to parents at the sidelines on Saturday mornings they say isn't it great my kid is out there and he's playing rugby too and you can look at the kid and see just because he's overweight doesn't mean that he's going to make a good prop mm. that like there's almost a belief that Yes, rugby takes takes all shapes and sizes, but you still need to be fit and you still need to be healthy. So if a child is seven, like my kid, you're looking at making sure they're eating well for growth, for development, for health. Um, and then after that, you can, you know, as they progress through, you know, schools, cups, junior cup and senior cup, you might be looking at what can you put in additionally to fuel the extra demands that they have through training, the extra demands they have for recovery. But for, for young children, it's the sensible approach of you know things in moderation using common sense follow the recommendations of the the food pyramid and the department of health guidelines um there are then specifics like all um, volunteer coaches of, of underagers should be their first question on a saturday or sunday morning should be did you all eat breakfast and yeah. if they haven't eaten breakfast you know how can you come out and train on an empty stomach so that would be, you know, a, a no brainer. After that, then it would be if they're leaving and they're I, I see it oftentimes my son plays hurling as well. I see it oftentimes in hurling that the hurling pitch is across the road from the soccer pitch. So kids, kids are leaving one club and going to play soccer on another because everything is packed into Saturdays and Sundays. So if your kid hasn't had a breakfast and you want them to do two different disciplines with nothing in between, not, not only will they not enjoy it because they won't feel good. If they're showing potential and you think that you'd like them to progress through either discipline, they won't get the physiological adaptations that you want from any training that they've done if you don't put nutrition in. And the analogy that I often use with parents is if you're trying to go a pot plant, like all kids are given a, a daffodil bulb in school and they can all tell you it needs light, it needs water, it needs yeah. food, it needs energy. Kids are the same. If you don't give them fluids to drink and bring with them, they'll be compromised, especially in the fabulous warm weather that we have in Ireland. Yeah. If you don't give them a breakfast before they go and if you don't give them to recover, if you're then sending them off to another sport or to another birthday party even, they won't, they won't benefit from it. So that would be at an underage level. And then the next layer up, I suppose, would be for kids who are involved in junior, senior cup. I get questions on this all of the time. What should they have? You know, the kids are in boarding school or they're in school all day. What can you send in? And it's really looking at what demands does your child have in the day? And I know we've made all this very applicable to rugby. It could be the same for hockey or tennis or basketball. Yep. What do they do? They sit on, on in a, at a desk all day, but they're using their brains. So that is a carbohydrate requirement. They need to still have a breakfast, a lunch and a snack. And if after school at 3 or 3.30, they're then going on to an extracurricular sport, they need another lunch. They need a second lunch box that they have when they stop school before they go and they start training. And then if you have a child who's then, you know, finishing rugby or basketball or whatever it is, and then going in for study for leaving cert, they need another meal there. So it's making sure that they eat well throughout the day. To eat well can be expensive. 
and as well as that too it can be quite time consuming but I suppose to complement your lifestyle there are certain recipes maybe that perhaps you can cook in bulk mm-hmm. that just make it that bit easier where you have one night cooking and then I suppose you have your good nutrition then for the week yeah whether your, your expectation is that you need to perform very well in an athletic context or in your job everyone wants to perform well so high performance isn't always just about sport and high performance is being prepared you know you, the, what we encourage our guys here to do same as what anybody else I suppose in a work context would do is mm. look at their, their plan for the week on a Monday or a Sunday night or whatever it is see where they will have time to cook and identify the areas where they're likely to be compromised from a nutrition point of view and put a plan in place because if you haven't decided I'll shop on a, on a Sunday and I'll get whatever it is that I need for the week it's very likely that you'll be sitting at home on a Tuesday and go, there's nothing in the fridge. Uh, you know, I'm not prepared. I've got the mobile I'll, phone in your hand. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at the takeaway menus. So it's a case of being prepared and, and having things, um, having a plan. So I think one of the first things is to ensure that you have the tools, that you have everything that you need in your toolkit. A Tupperware is a lifesaver. So if, you, <laughs> if you are going to be batch cooking, you need to have a plan as to, if you're, if you're cooking a pot of anything, where's it going to go? Um, if you're going to be bringing it to work with you, is there somewhere that you can keep it? Is there, you know, a canteen facility that's a fridge? Do you, can you reheat? So those are considerations from a practical point of view. Um, I think everyone needs two good knives, um, a decent chopping board that's easy to clean, the, you know, practical things like that. Um, and once you have all of that, it's a case of what do you like and how easy is it? How much time are you prepared to give it? Um, from a snack point of view, I'm a great fan of boiling six eggs on a Sunday and, you know, sticking them in the door in the fridge, shelled that you can grab them and go if you're stuck for a breakfast or for a snack throughout the day. Chicken fillets, another easy thing that you can bulk buy. Just try and make sure you get good quality ones. Bake them in the oven, wrap them in tin foil, you know, leave them there while you're off doing your training or whatever else you do um, and take them out and, and either freeze them or stick them in your Tupperware and bring those as to-go snacks. Have them with hummus or cottage cheese or whatever. In terms of bulk cooking, a lot of people, when it comes to bulk cooking, favour things like mince. And this is often the case if you're cooking on a budget like for students. Like mm. Mince is a go-to. When you're looking at mince, um, there's, and it's only when you look at the labels that you see all of this, you can get everything from 25% reduced fat down to, down 5%, to 5% only yeah. fat. So that's 95% fat-free. Um, and that's what you're looking for. You want the, the leanest mince that you can afford to buy. Um, and with the, you know, the more discount stores that are available, it's much more affordable to buy higher quality meats and things like that so if you're buying a large amount of extra lean mince you can do like you cook it all off the same way if you're cooking mince you don't need to put any oil in the pan there's enough fat inherently in the meat chuck it in I would always be a a fan of draining it afterwards so drain it even after you've cooked it and drain off any excess fat that you've got there portion it into whatever amounts that you you want to and then you can add in a chili con carne in one tin of kindy beans and and a chili con carne mix then you can do uh, bolognese with another you can do quesadilla like there's so much you can do with mince you could do a, a, a cottage pie with sweet potato on top and like buy a kilo of mince and you're fed for the week I wouldn't recommend having it all in one week yeah. but if you stick it in your freezer you can mix it up similarly with chicken like if you're getting chicken pieces and chopping them cooking them off and then you can do a curry you could do a chicken and broccoli bake you could do a chicken and chorizo stew there's so many things that you can do by you know having what you need there and being prepared for the one for a bit of a phrase is there some healthy cheats that you can put in like uh, I've, I've read that natural yogurt can be a very good substitute for mayonnaise and so much healthier for you mm-hmm. would you have any little nuggets like that that we could we could pass on that people could uh, the, bring into their own diets the I think for in an athletic population, people always talk about cheat meals or, or cheat days. Um, and I think they're very valuable. 
you know, but particularly, you know, I have a sweet tooth. Everyone has a weakness when it comes to food. Um, and food is about so much more than fueling. It's about social engagement and, you know, comfort, food, the way it makes you feel. So I'm, I'm all in favour of cheat meals as long as they're a meal rather than a day. And it needs to be a meal a week rather than a meal every day of the week. Um, so a cheat meal can be really whatever you want, but you need to keep a handle on it. So, you know, if it's if it's something that you're you're treating yourself to, there's so many cheats in terms of uh, soft rolls and yogurts instead of ice creams. There's no difference in taste. You know, you're not compromising there at all. Like you mentioned there, um, any recipe that calls for mayonnaise that I would use, I would substitute it with uh, sour creams, low-fat natural yogurts. And particularly now with things like the Greek reduced-fat natural yogurts where you're getting a lot of protein, um, they're a, a great cheat for any recipe that, that calls for mayonnaises or creams or double creams. Mm. Um, for people who have a more savoury tooth, the, I saw a great recipe lately for roasted chickpeas. So these are chickpeas that you just buy in a can and then you drain them, dry them off, stick them in the oven, put turmeric or um, whatever kind of flavouring it is that you like on them and roast them. And they are really tasty, you know, and, and you're getting a protein content there that's much better than what you'd get in any other savoury snack that you could that you could get. And I suppose snacks is the key word then because you can put those into a little bit of Tupperware and you can have them because I suppose everybody can get peckish in between meals and having those healthy options just right in front of you is ideal. Absolutely. Another thing that people are finding very useful for preparing healthier snacks would be, and I bought one recently and people are sick of hearing me talking about it, my spiralizer. Is this for courgettes? Courgette. <laughs> <laughs> so for any kind of, of um, fruit or vegetables, you can basically turn it into like an angel hair pasta or, you know, thick or thin with slices. So in like the, again, with the young family that I have, trying to get people to eat vegetables, you can turn a normal boring carrot into anything with with shapes you can eat it raw you can stick it in the oven and bake it you can so you know what you can that there's a, a trend now towards buying beetroot chips or beetroot um yeah. crisps or um sweet potato crisps you can make all that yourself if you if you're willing to either invest in it with a, a, a chopper or buy a spiralizer and go with it that way so roasted um vegetables are, are a really good cheat Last question, like, can the players enjoy a pack of potatoes in front of you or do, do they instantly feel guilty? I don't know, they don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you have them well trained. <laughs> For more podcasts, you can check us out on MonsterRugby.ie or subscribe to Monster Rugby on iTunes or SoundCloud. <laughs>